Take that worship folder you have and flip it on the back as your study guide uh, for this morning. We've been walking down a path and we've been saying this for a number of weeks. It's not about us. We've discovered a few things together. Number one, it's all about God. It is not about us. He's created this. We haven't. He was here before us. Uh, we came later on, and we understand this is really about someone so much bigger, so much greater, so much more powerful. It's ultimately about his glory, and it's really about him. It's all about his word and not ours. It's what he wants to tell us and not what we want to come up with. It's about his plan and not our genius and the way that we can turn things and make things happen. Uh, it's ultimately all about what we, he does. And today we're going to be talking about, it's all about his timing. It's all about his timing. And as I look out here, are you a little tired this morning? Are you? You, you know, no offense, you guys seem terribly tired. Like I'm nervous about preaching, you know? There's a reason why the pastor stands up during his message. That way he doesn't fall asleep. But you're sitting there, and um, I don't know what to do about you, truthfully. Um, you know, we're just going to shift on the fly here for a second. This may not help out with our recording, but let's do a second greeting, okay? You need it. So stand up just for a second. <clears throat> in, in Kentucky, there's a church in Kentucky, they call this hugs and howdy time. We're not going to do that, but, but wake people up around you, would you? There we go, Richard. Okay, some of you getting a little too carried away. Uh, if you're nervous about falling asleep, you can remain standing. Uh, if you think you'll be all right, have a seat. <laughs> I see you know, uh, we all hate to wait, don't we? Uh, I'll tell you our experience here in Michigan. In New York, we call it the Department of Motor Vehicles. Here you call it Secretary of State. And, and my wife and I were dreading this. We were absolutely dreading going down there because we know in New York, you could wait forever, forever. And, and you wait in line. And then when you get up to the front of the line, you know what they tell you? Oh, you don't have the right paperwork. And you go all the way back. This is worse than a plumbing job and you have to go back to Lowe's. And so here, here we're thinking, really, we've got to go to Secretary of State and do this. And um, some folks told us, you can call ahead. You can put your name in line, and you're not even there. And we're thinking, this is going to be perfect. So we, we did. We called ahead. We got our cell phone in there, and they're texting us, hey, you are in line. And I'm like, this is great. I'm in line, and I'm at work. And we're waiting, and I'm talking to Lisa. I'm like, hey, just wait another half hour or so, then maybe we'll go down there. And so I said, you know, let's get there 15 minutes early. It's not funny. It is not funny. <laughs> this is not going well this morning. I'm telling you. 
We got there 15 minutes early. I'm thinking, we're just going to make sure that we will not lose our spot. And we get there, and I get this text. Um, instead of 15 minutes from now, they're, they're starting to bump it back. I'm like, no, it's 25 minutes from now. I'm like, hey, it's all right. And about 10 minutes later, I get another text, and it's going in reverse. It's going to be about 45 minutes. I'm like, this is not good. And then it goes even farther back. And, and I could... This story could go on for a long, long time. Two hours and 40 minutes later. So in honor of one of my kids' favorite movies, I've got to show this clip from Zootopia and their experience with the Department of Motor Vehicles. Go ahead and roll this thing. I just remembered I have a pal at the DMV. Flash is the fastest guy in there. You need something done, he's on it. I hope so. We are really fighting the clock, and every minute counts. Wait. They're all slots? Are you saying that because he's a sloth, he can't be fast? Hmm. Officer Judy Hap, CPD, how are you? I am doing just fine as well as I can be. Hmm. What? Hang in there. Can I do? Well, I was hoping you could run a plane for you. Well, I was hoping you could today. Well, I was hoping you could run a play for us. We are in a really big hurry. Sure. What's the plate? Two nine T number. Two nine T H D zero three. Two nine. THD03. T. HD03. H. D03. D. Mm hmm. 03. Zero. Three. Hey, Flash, want to hear a joke? No! Sure. <laughs> what do you call a three humped camel? I don't know what do you call a three-humped camel. Three-humped camel. Pregnant. <laughs> ah. 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 Yes, yeah, uh, very funny, very funny. Can we please uh, just focus on the text? Hey, wait, wait, wait. Priscilla. Oh, no. Yes. Flash. What <gasps> do no. you call? A three-humped camel. Uh, Pregnant. Okay, great. We got it. Please humped.
Here. Yes, yeah, yeah. Here, you. Thank you. To my THD-R3. Go. It's registered to Tundra Town Limo Service. A limo to Goderton and the limo's in Tundra Town. It's in Tundra Town. Way to hustle, bud. I love you. I owe you. Hurry. We've got to beat the rush hour in. It's night. I almost think we would have rather gone there uh, than locally. Don't we just hate to wait? Patience is a killer, isn't it? I heard a poem once, how true this is. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, but never, never mind. That's uh, <laughs> it's a stupid poem, actually. It's just... The great New England preacher, Phillips Brooks, was noted for his poise and quiet manner. At times, however, he suffered from um, bouts of frustration and irritability. And one day, a friend saw him just feverishly pacing the floor back and forth. And the friend said, what's, what's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? Here's a quote. I think we felt it before. The trouble is, I'm in a hurry and God isn't. You been there? Felt that same way many times? In fact, maybe that's your story this morning. I want to get there now. And God's saying, hold on. <laughs> Not quite yet. In my time, well, repeated theme throughout Scripture is this idea of waiting on God. And if you're waiting on God, you are in very good company this morning. Noah took 100 years to build an ark. Abraham waited 25 years to have the baby promised to him by God. Jacob waited 14 years to marry his true love. And today we talk about a person who waited through some of the most intense adversity that we could ever imagine. And I invite you, just grab your copy of the scriptures, if you would, and turn to Genesis 37. We're going to work through that outline that you have there in front of you. Genesis chapter 37. Here's an individual that went through a waiting game unlike any other that we've heard of. And even if we thought of what we are going through personally we would realize, you know, my weight is probably not as tough as Joseph's that we're going to talk about this morning. Now, we're, we're covering quite a wide stretch of Scripture, and I'm not going to be able to go verse by verse through his entire narrative, but we're going to walk through it in this way. Just notice, if you would, starting um, in verse 1 of Genesis 37, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. And here he is right off the bat. Joseph, a young man of 17 years old, and these age markers are there for a reason, was tending the flocks with his brothers, also with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any 
of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. I'm just going to give you Joseph's story in a nutshell, and here's how it goes. He was the baby. The baby of 12 brothers. Verse 2 tells us, just like all babies do, and I was one of them, he was a tattletale. Did you see that on there? The end of verse 2, he went out, checked on his brothers, and he came back and said, Dad, he'll never believe what they're doing. And he, and he gave this bad report about his brothers. Verse 3, he was the favorite, just like all babies are. Amen, babies? Yes, yes. We're together on this. His dad loved him more than any of his other sons made a special robe for him. It says an ornate robe. I learned it in my youth. His coat of many colors. Yeah, so here's, here's a special gift for him that none of the other brothers had. And so you can put it together. He was the baby. He was a tattletale. He was loved more than any of the other brothers. And so, figure it out, he was also hated. This is how the story goes. Hated by his brothers. On top of that, look at verse 5. He was a dreamer. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And notice why, because here's what the dream was. He says, hey, listen to this dream. We're binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. Isn't that a great dream? I loved it. They said, guess what? I had another dream. And it got even better. Here in verse 9, this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Isn't that great, guys? And so here's the baby, the tattletale, the favorite, the hated one, the dreamer. And now, lastly, we see he's a target. He's a target of their hatred. And his brothers had such anger toward him. And one day his dad said, uh, Joseph, I want you to go. I want you to go check out your brothers and uh, see what's going on. And so Joseph went, he's looking at his brothers. And the text says his brothers saw him a ways off and instantly, bam, they're, they're talking. Let's kill him. He doesn't have dad there protecting him anymore. Dad's all the way home. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. Let's knock him off and dad will never know. We'll take the coat. We'll dip it in blood. We'll take it back and make up a story. And one of his brothers, Reuben, ended up standing up saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not kill him quite yet. Let's just put him in this empty cistern or pit and we'll throw him down there and then we'll kind of discuss what we're going to do with him. And so that's what they did. Joseph came in. Hey, hey, brothers, how's it going? And they grabbed him. And they throw him down in this empty cistern, this pit. And we've possibly heard this account before, and we're kind of numb to it. It's like, oh, they brothers grabbed him, threw him in this pit. And they were talking about if they were going to kill him or what they were going to do, and we've become numb to it. And friends, later on in the text, it mentions that Joseph was screaming and crying 
down in that pit, and his brothers didn't listen to a word he said. Gang, this was outrageously crazy traumatic for this 17-year-old boy. And while he's down there, along come some merchants that are going to Egypt to sell their wares, and so they're talking about what they should do, and they say, you know what, this is perfect. We can make some money off him. We can get rid of him. And will be all the better. And so these guys come along, they sell, they sell him off to these merchants from Egypt, and they're going to take him to Egypt to sell him into slavery where they would never see him again. And basically, he's going about as far as here to Toledo in a straight line, is where they were taken about that distance. And if they were a caravan of travelers, it probably would have taken between seven and ten days' trip. He was never to return again. They knew it. What a perfect plan. And so off he went down to Egypt. And let's just get to the heart of the matter. I don't know that there are many, if any, that could stack what we're going through up against Joseph. Like, I don't think any of us are going to get to heaven, stand alongside of Joseph and hear a story and say, oh, that's nothing. Wait till you hear my story. So Joseph goes to Egypt, gets sold into slavery to the captain of the guard of, Potiphar, or of Pharaoh, and his name is Potiphar. And he's taking care of Potiphar's home. And so, you know, instantly you think, hey, this is maybe getting a little silver lining. He's taking care. He's in a good home. He's serving well, and, and maybe this is going to end up really nicely. And then wouldn't you know it, Potiphar's wife had feelings for Joseph, was trying to seduce him to have sexual relationships with her. And he does what's right. And once again, his coat is another symbol, and he sheds his coat as he's running away from this woman, and then she makes up a story and says, he was making advances for me. Potiphar takes him and throws him in prison. And there he sits. There's no sentence. There's no, I'm going to get out in eight years or two years or five years. He's just sitting there. Let's move to the end of the story. Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has two dreams. And while Joseph is in prison, the cupbearer that was in there with him remembers, you know what? There's this guy back in prison who interprets dreams. His name is Joseph. And so Pharaoh says, well, bring him to me. Let's figure this out. And so Joseph comes before Pharaoh. And interestingly enough, Pharaoh tells him the dreams. And Joseph says, I know what your dream is. There's going to be seven years of plenty across this whole region. However, after that seven years, is going to be seven years of famine that it's going to swallow it all up. And if we're not prepared, we're all going to die. Pharaoh says, what should we do? Joseph says, you know what? As we go through these seven years, we need to stockpile for the next seven. And, he's, and Joseph says, you need to find a good guy to do it. And guess what Pharaoh says? I think I found him. It's you. You're on. So Joseph goes from a pit to prison to the palace. So let's do the math. Get your study guide there. Let's do a little bit of math together. Math isn't good to do when you're tired. So I've pre-done it for you. 
He was how old when the story started? Do you remember? 17 years old. He was 30 when he got out of prison. So that whole duration from 17 to 30, I'm really testing here, gang. 17 to 30, how many years in between? Okay. I had about 10 of you on that one. That's great. Glad you're with me. Add to that, there's seven years of plenty. 13 plus seven is. And then now where we come to the story, we're two years into the famine. And this is for all of us. We all can do this together. I know you can. 20 plus two is. Oh, you guys are just great. I'm just really impressed. And then his brothers show up. His brothers show up to Egypt because they ran out of food. And here Joseph is, the second in command in all of Egypt. And wouldn't you know, he looks out and here's his 11 brothers. And he sat there for 22 years from that stinking pit into prison until he's finally where he's at 22 years all because of those 11 guys. Now, I know we're in church today, but what would you be thinking? Now, please don't say it out loud. I don't want the person next to you to be like, wow, you know. What were you, what would you think? Here's your brothers. If it were me, I were Joseph, here's how the story would go. And I saw my 11 brothers they came to Egypt as they had no food. And I had them all killed. The end. <laughs> and don't tell me you didn't think of that yourself. Doesn't revenge feel good sometimes? Ooh. One great story of revenge was Chicago Cubs outfielder Andre Dawson. He had to pay a $1,000 fine for disputing a strike called by umpire Joe West, and he argued and argued and argued, and finally he got thrown out. Major League Baseball said, Andre, you need to pay a $1,000 fine for that argument. And so he did. And on the memo line of his check, Dawson wrote, donation for the blind. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Oh. Oh, to get the last word. To get the last jab. You know, having the upper hand. And everyone knows it. Oh, that feels so good. It wouldn't be good for me to say right now, so let's close in prayer. <laughs> This is not where we end. In fact, folks, what I'm about to say may be, it may be life-changing for you. I'm hoping it will be. We all need to think about the important lessons of going through the weight because we all go through the weight, every one of us. 
And I want to give us three things to think about when we are in the wait. Why this wait? Why am I going through this? How is this going to impact me? And here they are. I want to give you three things. And please, let's not just write them down as lessons from Joseph. Let's write them down as lessons for me. Okay. Lessons for me today. This is what God has for me. And here we go. Why the wait? Here's number one, because there is a bigger plan. There is a bigger plan. If you would fast forward with me, please, to Genesis 50. It's the last chapter in the book of Genesis. Genesis 50, verses 19 through 20. And I want to give this to you. There's a bigger plan than what you and I even know. Remember, God's plan for you isn't just about you. This is not all about us. And interesting, God's plan for Joseph wasn't just that his brothers would bow down. That's not where the story ended. It wasn't, and so his brothers came to Egypt and they bowed down to Joseph. The end of the story, there was so much more to this. And in Genesis 50, 19 and 20, here's what the text says. Joseph said to them, his brothers, as they were standing there, he said, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph finally st stepped back and said, you know, I can see the bigger picture. I know that you did this because you wanted to nail me. However, God had such a bigger, more grandiose plan in all of it, and it had nothing to do even with you and with me. It had nothing to do even with you bowing to me. Ultimately, God's plan was so much bigger. It was the saving of many lives. And just put it together, this plan was so huge. It was the ultimate rescue of millions of people at that time as the entire geographical region was experiencing this famine, God saved millions of people's lives right then. It was also the rescue of nations. And primarily, it was the rescue of the future nation of Israel. But the plan was even bigger than that. It was the ultimate rescue of the line of Jesus Christ. Think about it. The people living right then, in fact, one of Joseph's brothers was directly in the line of the Messiah. And from a human standpoint, if he had died, now we knew God had all this plan. What would have come? However, God rescued even the line of the Messiah through Judah, one of Joseph's older brothers, because Joseph stored up the food and rescued his family. And here's the biggest part of the plan. You sitting down for this one? Here's the biggest part of the plan. Because Joseph went through all of this, and the, the line of the Messiah was preserved. You know ultimately who God rescued through this? It was you. And it was me. 
because all of this happened and Joseph went through all of this and God rescued his lineage and the Messiah came and he died on the cross for our sin. Ultimately, God did all of this to rescue you and to rescue me, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus that he died on the cross for them. Now, that is an awesome plan. Amen? That's an unbelievable plan. And it's because God has a bigger plan. That's why the wait. If God short-sheeted this, if Joseph said, you know, just get me out of prison. I'm breaking out. I'm doing my own thing. If he tried to hit fast forward, let's just trim off a few years and speed this thing up a little bit. The outcome would not have been the same. And folks, God's plans are bigger. They are higher. They aren't just about us. They often involve other components even other people than just you and God, this master planner is pulling all of the pieces together and making things happen just the way to have the impact that he desires to have through your life and through mine. We understand why the wait, because there's a bigger plan. Here's number two for you. Here's number two. Why the wait? So we can get closer to God. I'm just going to rattle these things off. These are awesome. So we can get closer to God. Genesis 39.2 says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered in the house of his Egyptian master. He was with Joseph when he was with Potiphar. Joseph 39.20 and 21, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. 39.23, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Chapter 41, verse 38, here's Pharaoh's quote. Can we find anyone like Joseph, one in whom is the spirit of God? Here's a quote I want to give to you. It's not on your sheet. I'd like you to write it down somewhere, either there or in your Bible. This is one to remember. God will not ask you to wait where he will not wait with you. God will not ask you to wait where he will not wait with you. You ever sat in the waiting room? Isn't a whole lot nicer when someone sits there with you, talks to you, comforts you? God will not ask you to wait where he will not wait with you. Be comforted in the fact that you are never alone, ever. For Joseph, in the pit or in prison. For you, it could be in the hospital or the classroom or the bed that once held two people. Or in the meeting or during the blood test, you are never alone because God is with you in the wait. Here's one other way I know that God was with Joseph and that he understood it and he got closer to God. Joseph had two sons, one named Manasseh, one named Ephraim, and here's what their names mean. Manasseh means because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. God was with me through this and it was like it didn't affect me at all. Manasseh. Ephraim means because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Even in the place it was so difficult, God was with me and gave me success. 
easily. Here's number three. Number three. First reason for the wait, there's a bigger plan. Second reason for the wait, so we can get closer to God. Here's a third reason, so we can trust God more. I'm about to push a theological button. I understand that, but we've got to do it this morning. Notice chapter 50, if you would, verses 19 and 20 again. His brothers are standing there after selling him out 22 years before. And Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Now watch it. I'm going to have you repeat it. Am I in the place of who? God. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. And here's the word intended. They purposed, they planned, they calculated, they strategized, they meant something by this. And he says, you intended to harm me. However, God, same word here, God intended, he purposed, planned, calculated, strategized, he meant, he intended this for good. Their intention was evil. God, through all of this insanity and 22 years of a wait, God intended it. He planned it. Here's the theological hot button. I mean, God plans a problem? I know it's a touchy one. According to here, God intends them. They have purpose with God. He has great purpose in them. Some of us don't like that. Truthfully, I don't know that I like it. Some say, you know what? I can't believe in a God that would plan for difficult things to happen. But you know what? Joseph couldn't imagine a God that was not in control of these events. And if you think about it, I'd rather have a God in control of my problems than one that is not in control of them and trying to make something good to happen. There is no power higher than him. He does exactly what he needs to do. And without a doubt, Joseph looked at the whole event. He looked at the pit. He looked at his brothers. He looked at Potiphar's wife. He looked at the forgetful cupbearer. And he went through all of that. And he says, you know what? I know your intention was horrible through it, but God intended every bit of this for good. He intended it for good. Our weight, your weight, my weight is a part of God's plan. And if you're sitting there not liking the weight, it's proof positive that we need to trust God more. Here's how I view it. Our lives are like a, like a um, recipe book. And we think about the ingredients. And so uh, since we're getting close to lunch, let's think about making a cake. And so you, you put in your flour and you put in your eggs and you put in a little bit of butter and you put in 
all of these different things and you're getting ready to make this awesome cake and there you go. You mix it all together. You need two other things, don't you? You need intense heat and then the other thing you need is time. You need heat and time or else you're not going to have cake. You're going to have goo. Okay? It's important, if you want the right product, it's not merely the ingredients. There's temperature and there's time. And so, folks, God puts together the ingredients of our lives, but just the ingredients by themselves are not enough. He needs to be able to put us sometimes in this little oven, and it needs to be for the right time period. Because he has a greater plan. I know some people today are thinking, you know what? I'd like to be no-bake cookies. You know, <laughs> that sounds a whole lot better for me, but it doesn't work that way, folks. It doesn't. Both of these things are crucial to God's master plan of what he's doing for our lives and for others through our lives. And he knows exactly when that timer needs to go. Ding. And then there's the perfect product that he's been looking for all along. So how should we respond in the way? I'm going to give you these three, and then we're going to finish up. How do we respond? Number one, with faith. With faith. Your weight has a purpose, friend. I like to put it this way. With God, your weight is not wasted. We look at the weight as wasted time. With God, it's never wasted. Your weight has a purpose, and we need to trust God. I know this is taking longer than what I would like. I don't like being in the oven this long. However, I trust God that I need to be in this long to produce the product and the plan that he has for me with faith. Here's number two. Like it or not, we respond to the weight with a good attitude. Doesn't that just make your day, huh? How do we all normally wait? Yeah, like the rabbit like Brian as Secretary of State, we know what we feel. And sometimes we sit there and we complain and bellyache and moan all the way through this thing. And the reality is sometimes during the wait, we spoil. No complaining, no grudges, no why me. And if you look at the life of Joseph, I just dare you find one place in his entire account where he had a bad attitude. It's not there. So when we go through it, we say, you know what? God has a reason. I don't understand it. He's going through the weight with me. I'm going to keep on the positive side of things. I know God's going to do great things. Here's number three, with readiness. With faith, with a good attitude, with readiness, because the timer is going to ding 
And God's plan is going to open up. And you know what? We better be ready, gang. We need to be ready to act. When Pharaoh called on him to come in and interpret this thing, this guy was ready. And he echoed exactly what God wanted him to say. And everything fell exactly into place at God's perfect time. And that's what I say to you and to me. When God says, time up, here we go. The plan is going to unfold. We need to be there and prepared in our heart to do exactly what God wants us to do through the whole thing. We need to be ready. Is that where you are? We're going to talk about a little bit more, but for right now, just for a moment, would you pray with me? I'd like you to close your eyes. I'd like you to think inside. Are you at a point of wait? And is it actually getting a little bit frustrating? Like, why am I in this this long? You are not alone, my friend. I want to give you some assurance. There's a good reason. And God's going to do big things with you. And go through it with him. And I'd love for you in your seat to just take a moment and express to God your desire to trust have a good spirit and to be ready. When that purpose surfaces, you're on it. In the silence right now, would you tell God what's on your heart? Express to him your desire to partner with him in the wait. I'm going to give you a moment of silence. Talk to him and I'm going to pray in just a second. Father, we're all waiters. We're waiting. And it's not easy. Sure is good to know, God, though, that you have a plan. That our wait is not wasted. That you'll never ask us to wait where you aren't willing to wait with us. God, help us to trust. Help us to obey. Help us not retaliate. And may our world see how great you are when your plan unfolds and we're ready. Help us in the wait. And all East Bay Calvary said, amen. Would you stand with me for a moment?